Blog Talk Radio. This is the Art of Living Well Radio Network. Radio to inspire enlightened living. You're listening now to the Honest to God series with Anne Gail Rose and Ahanu. Well, good morning, everybody. This is the first time, Ahanu, in, what, four or five months that I can say that we're back in the South. We're back in, well, we're not even in Hendersonville, North Carolina. We're in... Miss Spring, North Carolina. And we're staying at our beautiful friend's house out here in the woods, which is very comforting for us to rejuvenate after a long trek. Yes, and it was a long trek because we came from Ireland across to upstate New York. We even paid a visit to Canada and then down to, uh, where did we cross to? Rochester, New York, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Virginia, and into North Carolina. And here we are amongst the beautiful fall colors in this area of western North Carolina and the sun is shining and indeed we've been blessed because we have escaped any harsh weather for the last quite a number of years any place that we've been traveling and here we are in glorious sunshine and it is a blessing indeed to be here with our wonderful friends one of whom we're going to be speaking with today Brian Chrissy uh, Aka Yurok of the fifth world and we're going to be talking about crop circles crop circle essences we're going to be talking about aliens we're going to be talking about all sorts of really really exciting cutting edge stuff i have to say since i've been here Rahano, i think the aliens have captured me at night because i don't know where i'm going but i've been all over the universe since we've been here well one of the funniest things was of course when we turned into uh, brian's place there's a sign outside that says Crystal Creek Center, an emerging and very, very exciting uh, center that they're operating here in Western North Carolina. But as we turned in the gateway, Angel Rose said to me, are we in the right place? What's the name on that sign? And I said, it's the landing pad of the Rita, what are they called? The the Zeta Reticuli. (laughs) We were corrected later, though. We we were told it was a Pleiadian landing site. So we have to keep our aliens straight. All right, so we have a good show today, like Hanu mentioned, and we look forward to uh, talking with Brian about very fascinating work, very much appropriate for the time period that we're in and the changes that are happening not only to our planet but to ourselves. And so we do need to talk briefly, though, about some of our announcements. And Monday coming up, again, is the 8th of October. And Hanu, we know we have this thing with eights, don't we? And we will be doing our Eight Steps to Freedom Class Number 2 teleseminar at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And I'm going to let you tell our listeners about that because anybody can really join in at any point in the series. Um, But we have some interesting things, very profound things coming up this Monday specifically. Yeah, well, this is a development. This is a work in progress, really. What we're finding is that there's new information coming on the planet all of the time. And as we unfold with the eight-month series, one per month, 
we're finding that what we the preconceived ideas that we had about what we were going to cover is all changing. It's changing by the minute. Now that makes it all the more exciting. It also makes it all the more daunting because even at this stage, we really not clear about exactly what we're going to cover, but we do know that it's going to be dynamic, cutting edge, very, very important information, and indeed will be one of those profound steps on the eight steps to freedom. To get more information about that, just go to ahanu.com. That's my name. It's ahonu.com forward slash eight steps to freedom. Now, the eight is the number eight, and the rest is hyphenated. So it's eight hyphen steps hyphen to hyphen freedom ahano.com eight steps to freedom go there and you can actually get in on that program and it is really really a dynamo now before we leave that whole subject of change we want to talk to you about angel rose's new book a time of change which is already on the bookshelves Amazon has it, and I believe it's on a Kindle version also. It's on all the electronic downloads. So you can find out more information by simply searching for A Time of Change on Amazon.com. But there are several books there with the same name. So make sure you search for Angel Rose. That's A-I-N-G-E-A-L. That's the Irish word for angel, so that you remember it. Angel Rose. Get a hold of that book. It's stirring things up for people all over the world. Do you want to say something about that, Angel Rose? Well, I just want to say I'm delighted to finally have the book out. And as you know, we've had a box shipped to us that has already sold out, which was a delight for me because this has been a lifelong dream for me, Ahano, to actually put a book in print. And it, it is a transcript of questions people have asked of the Akashic Records about this time of change that we're in. All sorts of topics are covered from the finances to, um, you know, questions to source about who we are and what we're doing here. Uh, lots, lots of really good stuff. And I would like to promote uh, the thing to our listeners that I'm trying to do more groups, more group Patrick records in different areas of the country. So if any of you are interested in having us in, to do a live group Akashic Records session, um, do give us a buzz on angelrose.com so we can be in touch. Now, there are many, many people around the world that believe the 21st of December is the end of the world. How many times have we heard that before? But we're planning on being here in 2013 because we're organizing another of our famous Mystical Ireland tours. And if you want to find out more information about that, go to mysticalireland.holistic, H-O-L-I-S-T-I-C dot I-E. That's mysticalireland.holistic dot I-E. And there you'll find out about the new trip that we have planned in 2013. And that also proves to be, or will prove indeed to be a time of change for many, many people. That's right, Ahano, and I'm lucky that I get to go to Ireland every year because you're Irish. And we get to sit in the beautiful Wicklow Hills and look over those sacred sites and be part of those sacred sites every single year. And, you know, unless you've been to Ireland and you can experience how alive the land is, it's got a very, very ancient energy to it. And um, you could still feel that. In fact, you can feel the old civilizations. You can feel the old Celts. You can feel, There's even feel places where you feel the Indians that were there. Uh, many moons ago, certainly there's plenty of uh, sacred, uh, what do you call those sites? Sacred. I want to say missionary sites, but they're not missionary sites. Are they, Hannah? 
Oh, no, you were talking about the um, Christian and Christian pre-Christian and Celtic sites, yeah. Druid sites and so on, yes. Indeed, they carry a lot of earth energy. Now, speaking of earth energy, we're going to be speaking very, very shortly to Brian Chrissy, Yurok of the Fifth World, who is with us in the studio today. And we when, hope that's him anyway. We hope it's him. We never indeed. know who it might be, really. He, he, he's known to change form from Yurok of he the has, Fifth World. His eyes even change color from day to day, did you know? <laughs> now, he, he will be speaking to us about crop circles, and those same crop circles, many of them actually come down in an area very close to us geographically, in Ireland, they actually come down very, very close to Stonehenge that many, many people have heard of and Avery and in southeast England. Area of high earth energy, high alien activity, and um, also on the St. Michael line, I believe, that many people will understand in terms of the earth grids and sacred geometry. So we've got a lot to cover today. Now, let's read you a little bit of a biography of Brian and Pam Chrissy because this was so comprehensive we didn't have enough space on our program to fit it in on the introductory section so I'm going to read it to you because it is fascinating and very very comprehensive background to these two really really amazing individuals. Yurok and Pam are star seeds from far away incarnated in human form some decades back. Yurok arrived in the Midwest and Pam came into the Reading, Pennsylvania area. The boy was named Brian Chrissy, but later a Quechua shaman at Machu Picchu renamed him Yurok, or spiritual man. The girl was named Pam Meyer, although she sometimes uses her spiritual name of Athena. Now, doesn't that conjure up, doesn't that conjure up amazing images in the mind? At age 16, Brian and a friend encountered a blue light special from somewhere else, and it changed him. Two other encounter, two others actually encountered it the next night. He at once understood that citizens of Earth are not being told everything they need to know. So he began a quest to find out and share what we need to know. Pam, at a similar age, encountered a visiting craft in her neighborhood. She was her family. She felt gratitude to the visitors for showing themselves. The two met in this lifetime in Oregon and discovered their similar experiences and life, and life quest. So they fell in love and got married. Oh, we could stop there. That's just a beautiful story in its own right. It's a whole hour and a half. Just, on, just on that alone. So they started what is now known as the Granite Publishing Group to distribute information on topics relating to the star nations. And to date, they've issued over 70 titles with four more coming out this year. And indeed, I believe that one of those that's coming out this year is... The Nature of Reality, by our own Angel Rose. <laughs> so, they were invited to the initial Star Knowledge Conference in 1996 at the Yankton Sioux Reservation in South Dakota, which was life-altering. They learned that indigenous peoples have been quietly interacting with off-planet intelligence for millennia, while SETI scientists have been fruitlessly listening for alien radio programs. They learned of the Hopi prophecy that talks of the shift from the competitive and decaying fourth world into the cooperative, love-based, and sustainable fifth world at about this time in history. So they began the Fifth World Journal 16 years ago to document our planet's progress through this shift. They created fifthworld.com as a place to assemble and publicize the new paradigm for the fifth world. Through map dousing, 
Spirit led the two of them in 1996 to move to Western North Carolina, where they established the Crystal Creek Center, or the Zeta Reticuli Landing Pad. <laughs> Beginning in 2002, they started working with Barbara Lamb to collect and distribute healing energies from authentic English crop circles. Recently, working in conjunction with the Akashic Records through our own Angel Rose, they began decoding the 101 crop circle essences that they have collected. Shortly after that, they set up Touch the Sky Cosmic Essences. Cosmic, I'm sorry, let me read that again. Touch the Sky Cosmic Energy Essences to distribute these valuable tools for human spiritual evolution along with their Akashic Record decodings. They set up the fifthworldfund.org site to coordinate people globally at full and new moons to collaboratively manifest a better world using the great global healing mandala. Currently, they are about to release the second edition of their book called Common Sense in Uncommon Times, Survival Techniques for a Changing World. The new edition includes material related to global changes and cooperative solutions. So if anybody wants to get in touch with them, you can go to granite-planet.net or Fifth World Fund. That's all one word. And it's got a five, by the way, fifthworldfund.org. Wow, that's a mouthful, Ahana. We should really have a fascinating time with them today. So I can't wait to get started. So let's just bring Brian on. Well, Brian, you're very, very welcome. I don't know what else you can say after that fantastic introduction there. Well, that sounds really special, but I know who that person is. <laughs> yeah, he's there today. Okay. Now, we, we want to start with the crop circles, I guess, in the beginning. Um, or even, let's go back further, because in the beginning of that biography, you mentioned that you were a starseed. What, what is a starseed? All of this goes without proof, because no one can prove anything beyond the scientific method, and this is all beyond the scientific method, so... One has to put together what we call a, uh, a set of uh, assumptions about uh, working assumptions about reality, and be ready to change those at any time that uh, new information comes in. So one of the working assumptions that uh, we work with is that we are star seeds, and what a star seed is is a a person whose soul or spirit has previously lived in other worlds, other places other than Earth, and are incarnated here in a human body, uh, but the memories of the soul having lived in other places where things are done a little better, that memory kind of bleeds to the surface quite often, and, and starseeds, I think, a lot of times feel like they just don't fit here. I mean, what is this thing? Do we really have to deal with money? I mean, come on, competition and wars and pollution, and I mean, give me a break. I mean, there's this feeling that the um, the planets we come from didn't do it that way, and our mission is partly to get it back to a sustainable and a beautiful world that it can be and was once and will be again. So having said that, Brian, you know, the fact that this world is filled with war and competition and all sorts you know, do you have any sense of who the beings are behind that? The beings behind the uh, current uh, corrupt structure of all of that. Uh, one of the other working assumptions that we have to deal with is oneness. And we are one with all living beings. 
and that includes Dick Cheney and Monsanto and all the rest of these folks. I mean, they are poor, misguided humans, uh, like a lot of us are. Um, and we can't really uh, uh, get very far being uh, judgmental about such people and uh, their actions. And we can't really get um, in a fight mood about it and think that we're going to grab rifles and go after them and win some kind of a war against them. And then through war, we're going to achieve peace. I mean, those ideas just don't work. You can't really uh, think of that. So my understanding about uh, what is behind a lot of the uh, black operations and the covert things and the, the control structures and all that is that the the Earth was established as a free will planet where it was a very interesting experiment for uh, the universe. And it was set up in such a way that souls would have the opportunity to incarnate here and flush their memory of where they came from and why they're here. And the experiment was to see whether we could, despite all of that, use the strength of our souls to put all that together and uh, get the world into a, you know, a, re, uh, a refound uh, Garden of Eden uh, type situation. So the, um, uh, the, the jury has been out on this uh, for a while. But um, I don't uh, I don't see that uh, the uh, the the evil or the dark people or whatever are um, really that likely to be in charge or to do the things that they're doing for very much longer. Uh, there's a sense that we have that a single person who is in their heart and working for love and in a cooperative mode, a, a person who can uh, see the good in others and understand oneness. And one person like that is probably worth a thousand uh, people with weapons in dark agendas. And so we have some hidden um, advantages in this that even though it seems like we are outgunned and outmanned and all that stuff. Uh, I think there are things afoot, which we'll talk about uh, during this hour, that uh, are very likely to turn that around and uh, and bring us to a point where human beings can be proud of this planet and pass it on to their grandchildren's grandchildren with, with smiles on their faces. Yes, that's fascinating. And I also am one who believes that we're really heading for something really, really wonderful and but I still want to go back here uh, for our listeners' sake and my own curiosity, I must admit, for you to talk to us about your experience with beings from other planets. You called it a blue light special. So could you talk to us about what actually happened to you and also what happened to Pam? Uh, sure. Um, I was a counselor at a um, Indian theme boys camp in Wisconsin as a teenager and we had uh, cabins scattered around the woods and out in the uh, open meadows and my duty one night was to be on what we call roving guard duty with another fellow and we just walked from cabin to cabin to make sure that everybody was okay and all the rest of the counselors were over at the counselor's lodge uh, playing cards and having fun until 10 o'clock and then they had to go back to their cabins but meanwhile we would go from cabin to cabin, make sure everything was okay. And this one night, my friend Eagle and I, and I don't know his uh, English name, 
were walking and we found a strange uh, light moving in the sky that moved in a way that we didn't understand. And I, I won't go into detail about what it was, but it eventually uh, left going uh, east towards Milwaukee. And we didn't think a lot more about it. We thought it was some kind of a maybe a, a hot air balloon where the gondola was swinging. They don't do that. But we were kids. We didn't know. So then it came upwind. So then it uh, it came right for us. And it was about uh, maybe 100 yards away. Uh, stopped about 40 feet in the air. And uh, it was about, looked to be about 100 feet wide. Had uh, windows on it, kind of an orange glow underneath it. And then this uh, electric blue light uh, came shooting out of it. Um, and that's the last thing I remember. And we eventually um, found ourselves in the woods, starting up the hill, going to the um, counselor's lodge. And we burst open the door, and we're crying and pointing at the sky. And everybody piled out. And we went out into the meadow to look at the sky. And we got binoculars, and we set up the posts, and we looked, and we watched, and there wasn't anything there. And Two or three in the morning, they started cracking the jokes, and we went to bed. And next day, it was uh, swimming lessons and you know, canoe trips and stuff, you know, and on we went back to business until that second night. And uh, Eagle and I were playing cards in the uh, in the counselor's lodge, and um, along about um, uh, ten o'clock or so, the door burst open. He's You have to forgive me. <laughs> um, anyway, two other uh, counselors uh, burst in through the door, and they were crying, and they were pointing at the sky, and they went through um, through their blubbering tears uh, explaining what had happened to them, and they were on their way back to the counselor's lodge to tell all of us to go to their cabins, and uh, they were coming over a little bridge, and there was something in the sky above them, and they stopped, and this blue light came out, and it froze them there, and they were paralyzed for some period of time, after which the light turned off and the thing moved away, and they came into the counselor's lodge, and then we went back out looking for things and didn't see anything all that night either. So I was not old enough to drink. I had never had a drink yet. I hadn't been into drugs. I hadn't had any reason to uh, have any reason to believe that uh, this was anything other than a real experience and having two people on two different nights in a similar situation and all of that. Um, what it meant to me was that it was not a hallucination and it wasn't um, anything that I could otherwise explain other than that it was something real. So what that meant uh, to me at the time was that there should be a course in such things in every college education. I mean, you should, you, could, you should start in grade school. You know, what is this? Who are these people? What are they doing here? Who are we? Who are they? What's the real history? I mean, things are not what we've been told. And so it was clear that that's the situation. So the next thing you learn after that is that there's two classes of people in the world, those you can talk to about this and those you cannot. And so you quickly get put back into uh, the right mode if you talk to the wrong person about the wrong thing. So eventually uh, you get to the point where you just don't talk about such things unless there's a clear green light 
to do so, and everybody learns to to deal with that. So many years later, uh, when when I'd gone through education and never found a UFO course in the, any of the universities I was in, um, and I was uh, teaching computer science out in Oregon, and I was uh, buying and selling uh, Apple computers, and Pam was buying and selling Apple computers from Apple Computer, and she was my uh, agent, and we got together, and and uh, there was a green light. And so we talked and found that she had a similar experience. So her experience briefly was that she and her family were coming back home after some event, and there was uh, her and her sister and her mother and her father and her grandmother all in the same car. And uh, they came over a rise, and uh, there was a telephone pole there, and pretty much right above the uh, telephone pole was one of these classic UFOs, just right out of the Billy Meyer book or something. And they all stopped and looked at that thing, and uh, was just they were just fascinated by it. And Pam's experience was one of gratitude. I was scared to death, but she was uh, she was feeling gratitude that family or whatever was uh, uh, demonstrating uh, to her. And so, in the time after that, uh, they talked about it from time to time, except for the grandmother, who never said a word. Uh, I think maybe her understanding of the world was too fossilized mm. to actually incorporate anything as paradigm crashing mm. as seeing something like that. Mm-hmm. And so it just stayed that way. Well, Brian, you have a green light from us, as you know. And uh, this obviously, the memory of this obviously affects you deeply still to this day. So we appreciate you being so honest and so frank and so open and sincere with us today. Yeah, what I'd like to know from you, Brian, do you have any memory, has any memory surfaced since then about, you know, where you may have been taken or what happened? Not that I'm aware of. I uh, I have people all the time tell them I should get uh, hypnotized and go back and find out, you know, more about that and so on. But we, as Pam and I have been doing these, this publishing business over 20-some years, uh, the the situations that are very similar to this are uh, quite widespread and quite common. And um, I never really figured it would really change anything I was doing to put the time into figuring that out. And so it reminds me, too, of uh, Betty and Billy, uh, Betty and Barney Hill, with one of the first uh, recorded abductions uh, back in the 60s. And she was on board the ship, and they showed her a star map and uh, and she said, oh, uh, where do you guys come from? And they said, where are you? And she had no idea where Earth was on a star map. And they said, well, if you don't know where you are, it doesn't make any sense for us to tell you where we come from. Same thing here. Well, you know, whatever they would tell you is going to come through a filter of their structuring, and they will give you the information that they want to give you, and maybe it's correct, maybe it's not, but there's no lie detectors. You can't cross-reference it. And so if they say, oh, yeah, well, we're from the Pleiades and this and that, maybe. So what we had to do was um, take this into our preferred list of understandings of of the world and say, well, uh, some folks from some place... 
did something with me that night, and it uh, put me on a course that leads me to where we are here today. And that's all I need to know. And whether they are good, bad, or indifferent, I think we have to get back to oneness. I mean, uh, I don't think we have any way to judge. And the only conclusion that I carry around is that uh, these beings, and I think some of these same beings are the ones that uh, put the crop circles uh, down, um, these beings, if they are doing this sort of thing, have to, by logic, be a lot more advanced than we are. So why are we here? If they wanted us to be gone, we wouldn't be here. They'd push the button and we'd be gone. They didn't do that. So they're at least not hostile, yeah, would be my conclusion. They may be a little indifferent and maybe the jury's out and you know, all we got to do is mess up one more time and they flush us down the toilet and off we go and start over or something. I don't know. Um, but I have to conclude that they are probably largely benevolent and they don't wish us harm. And over the years of working on this, the conclusions that uh, Pam and I get to is that uh, this oneness comes back in, in a different uh, way. And that is that not only are we symbolically one with all living things, but genetically and all that, it seems to be that we are them and we are the culture of this planet. Uh, in some ways, they planted us here and they are cultivating us. And that's why they feel they have the right to come in and take DNA samples and maintain our pollution and see how we're messing things up and so there's there's that sense that and that's hard that's a really hard understanding for people that once thought that we were the pinnacle of God's creation the only life in the universe to realize we might be more or less a crop okay but our our farmers that uh grab their pig and inoculate it is that an evil farmer from the point of view of the pig that doesn't understand the inoculation I mean it's a judgment thing so you can't judge you got to pull back from all that so I just have to conclude that they are, they're, they're probably benevolent and they have a reason for being that way. Well, you're listening to Angel Rose and Ahanu, and we're speaking with Brian Prissy, Yurok of the Fifth World, and we really want to move into this whole area of crop circles. But before we do, let us remind our listeners that if you want to contact us, you can call in on 805-292-0349 or email us at angelrose at angelrose.com, A-I-N-G-E-A-L-R-O-S-E. Now, you mentioned, before we go on to the whole concept and of, of crop circles and so on, you mentioned that this blue light froze you. And I'm puzzled by the fact that you, you you physically encountered this. Now, we've been blessed to have people on this radio show with us who have had kinds of experiences, like we've had one guy who had four near-death experiences, for example. And I know that if you don't experience something yourself, it's very hard to grasp it. You can be told about it. You can, you can, you know, you can try and move your consciousness into some kind of an awareness or an acceptance of it. But until it happens to you, I think it's very, very difficult really to 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 explain it in its full full in its fullness 
so that you can grasp the effect that it has or its deeper meaning. Now, you have had this personal experience and your wife Pam has had this personal experience. But I'm puzzled by when you say that you, you don't think they're... Um, that you don't you, you think that they have a benign agenda or benevolent agenda possibly uh, but yet they froze you why would they freeze you or why would they want to experiment with you in some way that would be all speculation and nobody really knows uh, my impression is that they sample the population on a regular basis to inquire into the level of pollutants and things that are in our bodies and the health of the of the human race and uh, they're also doing uh, genetic uh, analyses uh, there's a lot of the encounter uh, history seems to run in families and a, uh, a mother may have these kinds of experiences and then their children and the grandchildren and this seems to be what you would expect if they were working with a genetic line and some of the information that we uh, we get is that at least one of the races that seems to uh, be here a lot are the so-called uh, there's a lot of different kinds of grays apparently but there's there's a, a group that are considered to be from the zeta reticuli system and they're they're gray and maybe four feet tall, and they got big black eyes, and they're kind of thin, but their heads are big. And and those folks, the story that we get from several different um, sources is that um, well, we need to back up just a little bit here. We 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 always think, you know, here we are, the pinnacle of God's creation, and all that stuff. But when you look back at the universe, as far as we understand, it's about 15 billion years old. And our solar system is about 5 billion years old. And so we're supposed to not even ask the question about what God did for 10 billion years, twiddle his thumbs waiting for Earth to become able to sustain the only life in the universe. Is that what God did? I think he'd be bored to tears. And we understand that there's 100 billion and some stars in most galaxies and there's at least a galaxy out there for every grain of sand on every beach on Earth. And we're the only place that has life, unlikely. I think whatever, if God creates life or if life evolves, whatever it is, it's likely that it's all over the universe, that it's just teeming with life. And most of those places are hundreds, thousands, millions, billions of years ahead of us. And these Zeta folks seem to be one of those. The history that we understand from them, and could be they're lying, who knows. But the what we hear is that their system is about 8 billion years old, and ours is 5. So they've got a 3 billion year head start on us, which means that we start uh, uh, working with quantum mechanics and wormholes and things like that, give us 100 years or a thousand, or a million, or a hundred million, or a billion, or three billion, we'd figure out how to do that stuff. We, we we would know how to move through the universe. We would know how to come and go and all that stuff. And time travel as well. It turns out we, we hear this all the time, and we don't understand it because we're locked into this three-dimensional plus time kind of planet here. But we are told that all time is now. 
you know, every, every place is here. It's like the time-space continuum is more or less an illusion that we maintain here on the Earth plane. So once you get out of that, all bets are off. And these folks from uh, Zeta, uh, some billions of years ago, according to the stories that we've heard from uh, many different uh, sources, they got into genetic engineering, they got into space travel, they started looking at their their makeup of their body, and they said, well, you know, um, emotions, those are kind of wasteful. You know, they get people upset, you waste time, it costs you energy, and you got to fuss with it. How about we just start deleting emotion from our composite makeup? And so they did that for a while. And then they got into, well, you know, sex. You know, everybody's distracted by sex. And, uh, you know, we could just, we know how about, we know how to clone, so why don't we just clone emotionless, sexless things and put our souls into them? And the things, they start calling them a different term. We use bodies, they use soul containers, indicating that the real identity, which we agree with, is the soul or the spirit. And uh, you have to read on Gail's book to differentiate the two of those uh, to a good level. Mm-hmm. And that was a good contribution she made. I'll continue to use soul in this context because that's what the story is. But uh, the the story is that these Zetas, over millions and billions of years, got out of sex and they got out of emotion and they cloned their soul containers over a long period of time. And that process, however, was only 99.99% accurate which is fine until you multiply it by 3 billion years. And now they're at a point where their soul containers are not sustainable. They're, they're degrading. And that whole race, and this is the story that they have, that whole race is more or less in danger of coming to an end because this cloning process is no longer sufficient uh, to continue over uh, in, in the future. So, and this is where it gets really weird because it gets into time travel and the um, the Zetas, um, according to this story, are here on Earth working with individuals here and doing the DNA stuff in order to reclaim enough emotion and sexuality to restart their cloning process or their reproduction process, so that their race will have a continuation uh, into its future. And so we, as a crop of DNA-rich, emotion-filled, sexy beings on this planet, the ideal place for them to come and sample and select and get components for their their uh, uh, genetic uh, engineering. So it's that kind of thing that seems to be going on quite a bit, and that's why they look at um, the the generation... Uh, family line uh, kind of things. And um, so I, I suspect that's probably uh, one of the reasons they interface with most people. And while we're on this, we've, at some point we've got to start correcting uh, our own terminology. You hear the, these terms all the time, and you can hardly carry the the conversation past the first time somebody says alien abduction. Well, what's an abduction? That's taking somebody against their will, 
screaming and crying into the night and they do horrible things. That's what an abduction is. And now alien, what does alien mean? Well, alien means totally not us. Very different. Well, it turns out that we are them. It's all one. And according to their story, it's not abduction at all because what they say they did in every case, and you can't, you can't prove it or disprove it, is that before the person who was quote-unquote abducted uh, gets quote-unquote abducted, uh, before they even incarnated into this life, the Zeta souls and the future human souls got together in that bardo or whatever that place is before you incarnate on Earth, and they said, well, look, uh, how about, uh, you know, when you're at 30, uh, we, uh, you allow us to come in and uh, we'll take you at night and we'll do this and that because we need this uh, genetic restraint here. Is that okay? You know, and well, okay, well, what if, you know, but just make sure it doesn't hurt and I don't remember anything. And they get some kind of agreement. And, and the Zetas say they have these agreements with the people that they're interfacing with. And so if that was true in my case, then I, uh, according to the story, would have agreed to allow them to come into my life and do whatever it is that uh, they needed to do at that time. And uh, they did whatever they did, and they went on, and I went on with my life. But it was it did remain to me that it was as real as anything else. So it's something we need to, to work with. There's a lot of reconfiguring of our understanding that needs to be done here. It's a paradigm shift is what it is. Well, we could have a field day with that conversation in and of itself, Brian. Um because obviously there's certain things I can understand, other things that I go, no, no, no. Okay, but anyway, that's another story. We do need to get to the crop, crop circle essences. Um, we're already halfway into our program, and uh, this is a deep, rich subject. So perhaps Brian and Pam will come back at a later time, and maybe we could have a whole show just on the alien topic itself. But we're going to switch gears now. We're going to go to the crop circles. And, um, you know, most people are familiar with the crop circles that have been appearing in the, in the wheat fields in England and across the planet, actually, for a number of years. So, Brian, can you give our listeners a brief definition or description of the crop circles and how long uh, that we have known that they've been appearing? Yes, uh most people think it's a fairly recent um, thing. Uh, however, you can go back through uh, history and you'll find uh, woodcuts from the 1600s showing something that's very much like crop circles and fields. Uh, the Native Americans had legends of uh, uh, star people who would come down in baskets from the sky and would swirl the uh, the grass around out in the meadow, and, and then the basket would lift up and go back uh, into the sky, and stories, you know, but what else? You know, whatever was happening to them, they put it into their terms. And uh, so you see that it's possibly something that has uh, gone on for a very long time. Certainly the presence of these beings, and they're not all Zetas, there's, there's hundreds and thousands, millions, probably billions of different kinds of beings out there, some of which are uh, visiting this planet and have been for a long time. What uh, has happened with the, uh, the crop circles is that in the recent uh, decades, there's been um, appearing often in the uh, fields of England, often in the middle to late summer, uh, formations in the fields where the uh, 
the crop is laid down in a fairly orderly manner. Um, the uh, if you walk through it on the ground, it's hard to tell what it is. But if you get up in a helicopter and you look down, take photographs, you'll see that this is a design of some kind, and it has uh, beautiful uh, geometry in it, uh, sacred geometry. It's got uh, there's all kinds of beautiful curves and and marvelous things. And some of these formations, people just uh, analyze them for a long period of time, and they keep going deeper and deeper. And there's so, you know, what's causing them? The um, the standard dismissal is that these are made by pranksters or drunks in the dark with boards and ropes. And that's not the case except for a few. And there are a few. They do make a few. And there are some people that admit that they do. And uh, Doug and Dave uh, at one of the bars over there a while back uh, took claim for all of them. However, they probably didn't know that there's 10,000 of them around the world over time. And even after one of them died, they continue to be made. So the other guy is really tired is all I can figure. (laughs) And then they appear on the same night in uh, places thousands of miles apart. So it's it's not that. But what we're dealing with here, and again, back to preferred understandings of how we live on this earth and, and, and one of those preferred understandings is that the that whatever evidence shows up, whether it's crop circles or experiences, uh encounters, abductions, whatever it is, whatever that is whatever that evidence is, it will be deniable. There's always gonna be, oh, it's Doug and Dave in the dark. There's some kind of a thing that people who are not yet ready to deal with that massive of a paradigm shift and how you have to think about everything. We're not ready for that. Those folks can latch on to the Doug and Dave theory and then turn that page and go on to Fox News or whatever it is that they're into. So every piece of evidence is like that, and you have to wonder why is that. And uh, it, it seems to go back to the uh, the free will planet and the uh, the idea that Earth is a place where individuals incarnate and they make their own free choices. So if uh, if we are being uh, studied by uh, other visitors, whether it's for cultivation or by observation, because it's a very interesting planet, um, if, if we're being studied by other races, then you have to go back and look at our experience when we have encountered some uh, remote tribe in the Amazon that never encountered Western civilization or whatever. And there are two approaches. You know, one is you go in and you give them Coca-Cola and cigarettes. And the other one is you stand back and you make a preserve out of it and you say, well, let's study these people and how they live and that sort of thing. You learn a lot more doing the second. As soon as you do the first, the whole study is different. It's not how does the primitive tribe operate? It's how do they deal with the invasion of people with Coca-Cola and cigarettes? And it's a different thing. It's not what these visitors seem to be interested in. So if they land on the White House lawn, that changes the whole thing. And they may do that at some point, but um, I don't expect that anytime soon. But if they do, it's it's going to be because it's it's an emergency and there's no other choice uh, than, than to do that. So these um, – do you want to – yeah, I want to ask you about how you have brought the the concept or the principle or the benefits, let's say, uh, 
of those good crop circles into a means of distribution so that everybody can benefit from them. Because we must remember that once that farmer comes along with his combine harvester, basically the crop circle is gone. So how have you managed to be able to preserve whatever was there? Okay, good question. Um, one thing that needs to be said um, is that this is an energetic process. And even after the combine has gone through, a dowser can find the edges of the, um, of the form and it's still there. So it's in the energetic field, whether that's in the electromagnetic spectrum or in a subtle range uh, is another uh, whole program, but it, it remains there. So what we did uh, on this was there was a, a very special uh, crop circle, a whole sequence of uh, formations that occurred in 2001, shortly before the 9-11 events that leads into the other part of the conversation, which is about swirling water and the global healing mandala and our secret plan to change the whole world overnight from behind. And we'll get into that. That's a secret plan. You can't tell anybody. Um, so starting in 2002, which was the year after this very special uh, formation uh, there in Milk Hill, we started working with Barbara Lamb, who is a renowned crop circle analyst and researcher. And every year she would take groups into the crop circle fields of southeast England, and they would hold up at the local pub or whatever, and uh, they have bulletin boards, and oh, a new crop circle at the corner of such and such, and they would pile into the bus and go out there. And, and she was a sensitive and a dowser, and, and uh, she would be able to uh, detect from the energy whether this was a legitimate thing or a hoax or something, and, and uh, so she could use her dowsing on that. If she found that this was a legitimate um, formation that was not made by Doug and Dave, then she would take her uh, dowsing tool and find the energetic center of the form. And she would settle down there with a glass bottle of water that would come from Whitewell, which is one of the traditional uh, healing wells over in that area that has a long history of having very powerful healing water. And she would then meditate with that bottle of water at the energetic center of the crop circle. And she would ask something like, uh, dear crop circle makers, uh, whoever you are, please allow the beneficial aspects of the energy that is associated with this particular crop formation to uh, come into the water that I'm holding here for distribution to the human race and the benefit of all who receive it. And she would be in that meditative space for a period of time. And when she felt that was done, then she would uh, cap the bottle and label it and date it. And at the end of the summer, she'd uh, ship those back to us. And so um, this summer we got uh, 12. The number differs. Uh, last year we had eight, but uh, the uh, security people uh, absconded with half of them because they clearly thought she was a terrorist with nitroglycerin or something, and so they took half of them, which didn't ever make any sense. But we got four last year. Most most years we get more than that. So we've got 101 of these all together, and we've been working with Angel over the last year or so to inquire into the Akashic records for each one of these formations. And we ask, uh, who made this? What is it for? How are we to use it? Is it uh, good for us? Uh, what uh, what should we think about it? And she gets a, uh, a good uh, portion of information uh, uh, that we record, and it's at our website, which is part of the granite-planet.net uh, collection of websites. Uh, 
And um, we have uh, now decoded all 101. There's uh, 20 of them that we uh, do not offer for sale. Some are uh, not yet ready, according to the information that uh, we get through the Akashic Records. There is one that is probably only, only going to be good after the end of December this year, and it's designed for energies in the new world. Um, there are some that are really not intended for uh, human use. They are there because they uh, they are dealing with the energy grids and things that come together in a very focused way around Stonehenge in that area that, that we know of. So, and there was four others that um, we did have, but uh, a, a drunk construction worker uh, thought that they were preserving them with uh, 50 proof alcohol, and so he drank four of them and stole the bottles. But the rest of them we got. <laughs> now the, the the last one that uh, we deduced that he uh, drank was one that uh, had to do with opening up uh, uh, limitless possibilities. And uh, shortly after that, he inherited his father's house, and then we never saw him again. So wow. that's how that happened. Well, well, that is a fascinating story indeed. And what we want to know then is how do you... Um, well, you, you kind of half answered how you got you get the essence because it comes from this this lady who who imbibes the energy into the into the water and then you take it and you turn it into an essence. Now, from that, then, uh, can you give us some examples of the essences that you have already made? Mm-hmm. I would uh, be glad to. the The process. Uh, once we get the the water from uh, Barbara Lamb, we uh, preserve it in uh, uh, in glass bottles and and uh, refrigerate it. Put some alcohol in there so nothing uh, grows in there, and then we uh, put it away until Angel tells us what it all means, and then we bring it out into the world. And um, the way the way this uh, works, we've we've had this at. Um, uh, some conferences we've had it at, at some conferences re- uh, recently up in Vermont and the Star Knowledge Conference in Hendersonville and and the Bella Haven uh, Conference down in Spartanburg. And what typically happens is that we uh, we put a um, a display of these blue bottles uh, out for people to uh, to get to, and they'll typically kind of waft their hand, their left hand, their heart hand over the tops of these bottles. And more often than not, they will feel some perceptible attraction to one of them, and or several of them. And we'll pull those out, and we'll bring out uh, Angel's uh, Akashic Records interpretations of these things. And we have yet to encounter a situation where the person has pulled out an essence that wasn't exactly right for them. I mean, it's exactly what they were uh, working on. And uh, what they needed, and uh, some of the um, we have a lot of these are from Pleiadians. Uh, some come from uh, angels. Uh, some are Arcturian, um, but Pleiadians and Arcturians seem to be the the ones that are uh, most uh, uh, frequent at this point. And um, this one uh, warns about the misuse of technology. Uh, this one all, is all about purifying water, and it's all about water. I get to the other part of the conversation, the swirling water. Uh, this one is uh, its all about uplifting you. It's pleading in. It's uh, full of joy and happiness. And um, 
this one's all about uh, sound and this one works with the uh, mineral kingdom and it's good for gardens and this one uh, warns us to take care of our honeybees and I've been doing that I'm a beekeeper I've got four hives and we're working with those and um, well, this one is from Melchizedek they don't specify what planet that is but um, that's where they are from and uh, pyramid energy and and uh, Pleiadian alignment, uh, comradeship, friendship, uh, on and on, language of love, rising of Atlantis. Um, uh, there's, there's so many of them. They, they, go, they go on and on. Uh, here's one on love and action. I'll tell you about uh, this one at, at a recent, uh, I guess it was at the uh, Star Knowledge Conference. And there was a woman there who had a, a, a booth that uh, where she does a, a lot of counseling uh, for people. It's all related to um, love energies and uh, bring love back into their lives. And so she came over and uh, scanned over the essences and picked up this one and asked me what it was. And we went to look it up and pulled it out and said, oh, well, this is love in action. It's Syrian. It's got a very nurturing feeling. It's very feminine. It supplies love to one in the way they need provides love in many ways, whatever a person needs. It's like mother's milk for healing. It restores one's self-acceptance, feeling of being loved and cared for, and so on. Uh, she was just blown away. That's, that's exactly her mission, and that's what she does. And so she's using that as part of her um, process. Then um, one more, and I'll turn it back to you. There's a, a video that uh, that we have that was uh, taken um the, the night before 777, and a fellow named Gary King had an inner knowing that there was going to be a crop formation at a certain place. And so he set up night vision cameras there, and he videotaped the whole field all night long. And there was nothing going on until 3.15 in the morning. There was a flash of light. And after that, as the dawn came up, there was this big pattern uh, in the field. And uh, when we uh, took that to uh, Vermont and had Marty Kane, who was a Master Dowser uh, Dows the uh, meaning of it. She, uh, the one thing she said very clearly about it was that it uh, is intended to banish fear. And if there's anything we all need in this country, in this society at this time, is to get out of fear. Because fear is, is what the whole dark agenda runs on. And we got to just get rid of that. There's nothing to be fearful about. Once we stop being fearful, we can be loving. And once we're loving, then we're on our way to making a better world. Yes, and um, having, you know, been in the energy of these circles, I do have to say uh, to people that they these essences are living beings. They are uh, extremely potent and powerful, and you really only need a drop or so in a glass of water to really um, start to incorporate the energy of these circles. So um, if people want to order any of those circles, or I'm sorry, any order any of those essences from... Brian or Pam, uh, where can they go, Ahanu? You can get them from Fifth Planet. We'll go to Granite Planet. Granite Planet. Granite Planet. And let us also remind our listeners that you're listening to Angel Rose and Ahanu. If you want to call in, the number is 805-292-0349. Email us on angelrose at angelrose.com or you can contact Brian or Pam at granite-planet.net. Now, we have got so many questions here. I hope we don't run out of time, Brian. We want to look at the, this whole 
let's call it business. I don't know what else to call it. The crop circle essences, because really it's it's an, an effort to get the benefit of these the benign crop circles out to the world, and this is most efficient and, and and best way to do it. So what you've done is you've taken these crop circles, turned them into an essence in water that you have in beautiful blue little bottles, and people take a drop of that in their water, and in that way they're essentially imbibing the the beneficial effect of the crop circle. Now, what is swirling water? This is something you've mentioned a couple of times. Swirling water. What is that? Okay. Um, swirling water is a very special kind of water that we have uh, been working with over the last uh, uh, almost uh, two years. And the way that happened, it's a long story, and we probably don't have time to go into all the details, but um, we mentioned a little bit about the special formation that showed up a month before 9-11. And this was in an area called Milk Hill. And two authors we work with, a third person, were involved with requesting of the circle makers that they give the human race a very special, obviously non-human created crop circle of some kind that would just blow the lid off this whole thing. It, it's absolutely impossible that people could have done this, so therefore there's somebody else who is it, start asking the questions, bring it out, you know, let's go on with the paradigm shift. And they were all making this request. So, and this was a month before 9-11, and, and it was uh, August 12th, uh, 2001. And those of you who are into numerology will recognize that August 12th and September 11th are the same numerology. And on that day, uh, Brett Parrott was in Milk Hill, below the hill in the flat part where the formations usually appear, if they appear there. And he was talking to the circle makers, and he was saying, I want that uh, formation here. I want it tonight. I'm going to check back in the morning, and it better be there. And So that was his kind of attitude. And in the morning, he uh, came back, and he looked down there, and there was nothing there. So he got disgusted and went off. And it wasn't until about three days later that he saw on the news or YouTube or something all this stuff about this beautiful formation at Milk Hill. And he said, oh, what was it? I was there. It wasn't there. What? What is this? So he went back, and it turned out that he was below the hill, and the thing appeared, but it was on top of the hill. He couldn't see it from where he was. So it had shown up. And so we, Pam and I, in our publishing business, uh, often get uh, very odd stories by other people's uh, standards that come to us. And these uh, these two uh, women from Australia came to us and basically said, well, uh, we were told that uh, you would be doing our book, and uh, here's our story, and and last time we were alive, we were Zetas. We were four feet tall, gray, big eyes, and we crashed in the southwest near Roswell, and we reincarnated as women in Australia, and here's our story. And Wow, okay, well, yeah, what's new? Um, so we were putting out uh, their their story, and it's, I mean, that's a whole other program all by itself, but um, they apparently have, they are star seeds from Zeta, and their Zeta soul or spirit at night goes back to the mothership and works with the other Zetas doing the Earth mission, which they help people and they examine folks for pollution levels and you know, all that stuff. They help people out of their soul containers at the 9-11 uh, events. And that's a whole interesting part of the book. In any case, um, it occurred to us at one point, since this was a very interesting uh, formation there at Milk Hill, why don't we just ask them to ask the Zeta folks, you know, what is this thing? What, why did, what, what, is there saying anything? What should we know about it? You know, what, should we do something with it? Before me, obviously. 
<laughs> and so um, these two uh, uh, women, uh, Judy and Helene, uh, in their Zeta phase that night, they talked to their people and they got us back information in a day or so. They said that uh, the, the Zetas say, yes, uh, this is a very special formation. This is a global healing mandala. It's a gift to the human race from us. And it's up to you to figure out how to use it. Okay. So we started working with people at that point and using intuitive guiding and all this sort of thing. We try this and try that. And over the period of the last uh, couple of years, what has emerged from this is what we call swirling water. And I have some here. And uh, those of you in the radio uh, radio land out there that have your video uh, perceptors turned on, uh, we'll see in your mind's eye that I've got a, uh, a dowsing pendulum here. And I've got one uh, one bottle here of uh, swirling water, and I've got a dowsing pendulum over it, and it uh, is spinning up at a good rate in a counterclockwise direction, which is the direction of the energy spin of that uh, milk hill formation. I've got another uh, bottle over here, uh, which is sitting uh, dead in the water. There's, there's no energy going on there. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to, open up the the uh, I'm going to have uh, Ohana do it here just put one drop of the swirling water into this one it's homeopathic uh, the less you use the power, more powerful it is and uh, put the other drop of back in there and uh, swirl it uh, just to homeopathically uh, get it activated and all that although it's not totally necessary but now as we uh, put our uh, pendulum over there this one spins up in the same direction so if we now took a drop of water out of this bottle of new swirling water and put it into another bottle and we douse that one, that'll spin up too. And a drop from that one into another bottle will spin up that one. And what is happening here, it's, it's self-replicating the energy structure that is in this water. And this water um, is different than the other crop circle essences because it was not in the original uh, formation. Uh, Barbara Lamb didn't hold this water uh, there at that time. She started the next year with that. But what this came from was this process that we've evolved over the last year where we get a group of people together, typically on a full moon when the energy is, is strongest. We form a circle, and we imagine the, uh, the pattern of this uh, swirl in the middle of the circle. And we have added color to it. It has the crown chakra violet in the center and there's six uh, symmetric arms and at the end of each one it gets to the red color of the base chakra the thing tends to want to uh, spin in a counterclockwise direction and I don't want anybody to say oh counterclockwise bad clockwise good or anything like that because it depends on whether you're father sky or mother earth you know it just is you know it's the same spin this is the way it was you look down on it it's counterclockwise you look up on it it's clockwise it doesn't matter it's just the way it is and what we um, find is that if you hold water in the center of this uh, process or in your hands while you're doing this, it will pick up this characteristic swirl and it replicates itself. Now, the way that we're going to uh, uh, save the whole world here uh, before anybody actually notices is the secret, yeah. And the way that works is this. We know from the work of uh, Masaru Emoto in Japan and others that water has memory. And 
what he did was he would take uh, identical bottles of water and put love on one and hate on the other one, and then he'd freeze them, and the hate turns ugly, and the love turns beautiful, and there's crystalline structures that are different depending upon the uh, words that are associated with the water and so on. It's very interesting work, and a lot of people are familiar with it. So water has a way of uh, pulling in a memory of the process that it has been exposed to. So when we get a gathering of people in a circle and we imagine this uh, swirling energy, and there's more to the um, uh, process, but there's a, a double torus that forms and cosmic energy is pulled down from above and earth energy is pulled up from below and uh, the energy is distributed out through these big these six big uh, rotating arms that clarifies your chakra system, makes you feel good, and all that sort of thing. Now, what we do at that point is we observe through uh, trial and error and observation of the Moto's work that since water has memory, if we express good things during that process, that water absorbs that. And if this water has started out as virgin water straight out of the earth, and it doesn't remember going through a filter or a processing plant or being a sewage outlet from Cleveland or something. It doesn't have any of those memories. What it remembers is percolating through the soil layers in the earth and coming out and coming down a beautiful stream, whatever. I mean, that's the the only memory that it has. And as far as its memory is concerned, human beings are beautiful people. It has no reason to think otherwise. Then you put this water into this process, and once we get the energy swirling around there and we have energy in the in the center, we start sharing things about this beautiful so-called fifth world that we're going into. And it's called the fifth world because of the Hopi prophecy stone, which says that about at this point in time, there's a split between the decaying competitive fourth world and the love-based cooperative uh, fifth world. So this fifth world, what would that be like? Well, that's that's a um, that's a world of of peace, and it's sustainable. And the rivers are clean. You can drink out of the rivers. And all the children are loved, and nobody's hungry. And there's no boundaries anymore. And we're all friendly. And you talk to each other with sincerity. It goes on and on. You talk about all these ideas about the beautiful world that uh, that we're going into. And at some point, we slow down the process, and we bring ourselves back to earth. At which point, everybody has a bottle of this, and each one has the same characteristics. You can put a dowsing pendulum over each one. Each one will spin up. Each one of them can take a drop and put it someplace else, and that will spin up. And going with that is not only the the, the spiral counterclockwise, as you look down on it, spin of the etheric energy in this, but it's also carrying the memory of the water, and what does it know? What does it know about how the world is? Oh, it's a world of peace, and the children are loved, and da, 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 all this stuff we put in there—that's what's in there. And as this water replicates out, and we ask people to carry these with them, and they're out uh, walking, they cross a little creek, they put a drop of water in there. And if you go upstream, put a drop of water, and you go downstream, get your dowsing pendulum. When that water reaches you, your dowsing pendulum starts spinning up. So where does that water go? It goes down to the river, down to the bay, down to the oceans, and the oceans are all connected. And this is the water planet, and we're the water people. And so what we're doing here surreptitiously is resonating with this better world by way of the water. 
and we don't have to raise an army, mm-hmm. and we don't have to create any battles. We don't have to grab a rifle, mm-hmm. okay? And if this works, and it should, I don't see any reason to uh, think that it wouldn't because the water is already out there. We've got uh, over a dozen countries around the world that are doing this with us on the full moons and new moons. And if it uh, is is to uh, succeed, we will go into this better world, and one day it will just be. And the Dick Cheney's of the world will have a very confused look on their faces. Well, I have to say that is an absolutely fascinating description of this secret plan that you have put in place. And um, I just want to remind our listeners that in the last 20 minutes we've left, that you're listening to Angel Rose and Ahanu. And if anybody wants to get in touch with us or indeed would like to be on the show, you can contact us at angelrose at angelrose.com. We're speaking to Brian Chrissy about the fifth world and his crop circle essences that he's developed. <clears throat> now, you mentioned that these crop circle essences are available for people to purchase through, what's the name of the website again? Give it to us, Fifth World. Go to granite. No, granite-planet.net. Granite-planet.net. I got you. Okay. Now, also, you did mention that there are a number of nations that are working with you on this entire project. How does another country work with you on this? One of the sub-sites at granite-planet.net is the uh, fifthworldfund.org. And if a person uh, were to go there, there is a register button that they can uh, click on, and they can fill in their information about their uh, name and and email address and various things like that. And... um, once they uh, are signed up for that, then there is a uh, there's an email distribution of information to them on a biweekly basis, saying that uh, the next uh, global healing uh, coordination is on Saturday, October 15th, and da 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 da. And here's the timing on the gross uh, the gross uh, the Greenwich uh, Mean Time, and here it is in Eastern Standard, and all that sort of thing. And they they get that, and then the the um, uh, there is a, uh, a a website that uh, you will get to as um, as part of that, that includes um, presentations, PowerPoint presentations and videos and music and uh, documents and various things that are all related to this. And so what we do in, in that environment is we um, we ask people to register either as what we call a visioneer or as a steward of the earth. And they're quite similar, but a a visioneer is saying, yes, uh, I am so concerned about the future of the world that I'm willing to take some steps on my own. I'm willing to talk to people. I'm willing to gather some other people together and and enroll them as stewards and guide them through this process. And I will get them together and we will make our own swirling water and we'll get this out in the world and I'll be a visionary. I'll be a leader. And then the stewards say, well, I'm pretty busy. This is important stuff. I've got a lot of stuff to do. But just call me when it's ready, and I'll be there. You know, it's a steward. So people register one way or the other. And then, um, and then as they have communications with people in other parts of the world, they communicate, and people find their links through the Internet, and here they come. And so we've got, we've got people on uh, most, uh, most of the continents uh, right now. 
um, except for maybe Antarctica. But uh, so it's uh, it's interesting. And what we do is we we also ask that every time anybody is involved in one of these periodic processes, that they send a, a dollar or more, whatever they can afford, back to the Fifth World Fund, and there's a donate button there at that site. And what that is for is twofold. One is that we believe that you get out of something what you put into it, and it, you ought to have some kind of a process whereby people donate something in order to make it real to them. Otherwise, it's just all free and you know, kind of too uh, free-floating. So we collect the uh, the money, whatever it is, and then around the world, where there are people that are trying to work on the the water problems of the planet, we try to find groups that are doing the right thing, but they're struggling, and we send some of the money to them to help them out. So there are typically water projects around the world, and this is um, this is a, a beautiful planet, or it can be, and it will be. And if it is God's crowning achievement in all of the universe, one has to wonder why two out of every five children don't have clean drinking water. And how good is that? Right, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's fascinating. Uh, the whole topic of water with water holding memory. And in fact, we've even become conscious of you know, if you have drinking water at your dinner table, I'm really, really sensitive to what the conversation is around the dinner table. Absolutely. Because people go and take that glass of water after they've complained about this or that or politics or the world. And, um, you know, even in the book, you know, sources told us that most of the water in our bodies is polluted. And I think that comes from a lot of negative thinking and belief systems that just don't support harmony and cooperation and um, which leads to death, which we were, what we were told. So very interesting. And I did work uh, myself with that counterclockwise spiral years ago, uh, not with water, but with a, a dead part of the forest. And uh, it was quite a large area. And, and um, it was at a time when the elementals were starting to talk to me and uh, I was with another person. Anyway, we walked into this dead area, and uh, he went first, and he said, don't go in there, you know, there's negative energies in there. And when I went in, I thought, yeah, he's right, feels pretty funky, you know, pretty reverse life type of a feeling. And I started to walk out, and something called me back and said, no, help us, help us, Okay. So I just intuitively started walking in this counterclockwise spiral. And that was the direction, you know, over and over and over counterclockwise. I probably did it for a good 45 minutes to an hour. And then I was walking out of it, and they called me back and asked me, would I build a spiral of stones, a counterclockwise spiral of stones in the whole area? And I said, oh, my God, this is going to take me hours. But I did do it. And we went back there the following week, and there was over a foot-high grass and the whole thing. And I really understood that, you know, you're bringing up that magnetic energy from the earth, and you're clearing all sorts of pathways uh, with that particular spiral. So you are right. There are people that think that's a negative um, direction, but really it's just magnetic more magnetic than electrical. So that's been my experience of it. But I'd like to know, Brian, since you've been drinking this water for a long time, 
what kind of effects have you noticed in yourself or what have, what has Pam noticed or other people noticed who've been uh, actually, you know, drinking this water? These effects, like anything in the subtle world, are impossible to document in a in a laboratory because they're impressions and um, feelings and that sort of thing. I find that I just feel clear and centered and grounded on a regular basis, and my perspective is is one of already living in that fifth world that we are in a a world of uh, cooperation and um the you know all of the all of the food that we take in the water we drink the people we have the conversations we have are all consistent with living in a way that is consistent with the ideas that we put out uh when we were discussing the process so that's a little amorphous but let me tell you um an interesting development uh, of this. I find myself more intuitively led on things. And if a hot tub out back of the house, and the um, the process is, as you know, uh, you go down to the pool store and you give them the water and they say, well, you need you know, a pound of this, uh, some grams of that, and this, that, and the other, and you put it all in there, and you wait half an hour, and you stir it up, blah, 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 all this stuff. Uh, chemical that, soup. Chemical soup. And then recognizing that the largest organ of the body is the skin. And what helps the skin absorb stuff is warmth and water. And then we get into this hot water of chemical soup and say, well, this is a good thing, um, maybe, <laughs> Maybe not. Uh, you splash something in your mouth. Ugh, what's that? You get in your eye. Oh, I'm hurt. I mean, it's not nice water. It might be clean. It might look clear, but it's not nice in a lot of ways. Um, so I was intuitively led to think, well, um, why don't we clean it all out and just put the best, purest water in there to start with and put one drop of the swirling water in there and see what happens. So I cleaned it out really well and washed it and rinsed it and cleaned the filter and did all this stuff, put uh, pure well water in there, uh, filled it all up, put in one drop, and uh, sat back and watched it stay clean for months on end without any chemicals. If you splash it in your water in your face, your mouth, your eye, it doesn't matter. It's pure water. I mean, it's just as clean today as it was when we started it. And... Out of general principles, because uh, you know residually I'm still kind of a scientist. I I replace the water every three months, not because it's dirty, but because one ought to somehow. It's like quarterly. We'll do that. Take the water out, put it, and start it up again. Uh, we have a friend who's well past his fourth month of uh, pure water and not using any chemicals. We got another pair of girls that are uh, engaged in the experiment and uh, haven't heard that they had any trouble with it. We've got a uh, a neighbor who uh, is using it in this whole swimming pool, and, and the water is just nice and clear and silky. So we uh, hesitate a little bit because we can't put it out and get FDA uh, approval and, and uh, uh, guarantees. Uh, you know, because this, is, this has to do with a subtle thing. 
And if and if people are letting the kids get in there and pee and whatever, I mean, we, there's no way you can control any of that. So part of what we have to do is just treat it with respect. I mean, you don't go in there when you're all dirty and sweaty. You get clean first and come in. We give it a chance to stay clean, and it will stay clean. And the, the motto that seems to come out from that is it's a balance, not a battle. And that's what it is. It's not that there aren't germs in there. Uh, look at a nice, clean lake. Is there a germ in the lake? Yes, there is a germ in the lake. But it's in balance. It's okay. Native bodies of water know how to stay clear. And that's all we're doing. We're keeping it in balance. And you can go back months later with your you know, pendulum and put it out over the, the the pool and it spins up the same way it did. So, what about bathing? Oh, it's wonderful. I mean, you meditate in a hot tub that's swirling like that in a spiritual way. That's a that's a beautiful experience. And if you wanted to do anything else with it, in fact, there's a general question we need to answer about all of these essences and the swirling water. Where's the where's the directions? And I jokingly say, well, we asked the aliens to send the manual. And they said it's in the mail. And I said I didn't get it. And they said it's in your heart. Okay. Yeah, so you just sit with it mm-hmm. and let your heart tell you. Well, we promised you a very exciting show today, ladies and gentlemen, and you got it. We covered all kinds of great information from Brian and Pam Chrissy. That is a.k.a. Yurok of the Fifth World. We learned about abductions, quote-unquote. We found out what star seeds were, and we discovered what these... Uh, Alien races are looking for, we think. We have discovered what crop circles are, how they're formed, and how Yurok and Pam create these crop circle essences from the crop circles, and then how the essence is made and how it's got to you, and where you can actually get these crop circle essences from. Just go to granite-planet.net. We've discovered just in the last few minutes how to clean your, keep your hot tub and your swimming pools clean without chemicals, which I found absolutely wonderful news. And you do need to get hold of this particular swirling water that Brian is talking about, and you'll get that on granite-planet.net. Now, I think we do have to, by way of winding down, also thank Barbara for actually being the one who actually sat in the center of those crop circles and imbibed that well water with the the essence, which is a wonderful and pioneering and visionary thing for her to have done. And we also want to thank Brian very, very sincerely for being with us today and his wonderful wife, Pam, and to wish him very, very good luck and and success also with the uh, Fifth World Fund. And if somebody wants to donate to that, I'm sure they can find it at granite-planet.net also. And uh, just by way of wrapping up too, we want to mention that I did notice that one of the beneficiaries of the Fifth World Fund was the Thrive Movement. And anybody really should get hold of that video because that is a wonderful eye-opener. And I'm just going from memory now, but I think the uh, URL of that is thrivemovement.com. 
Am I correct? Yeah, thrivemovement.com. And I think that they actually went ahead and made that video free of charge to download. So if anybody wants to get a look at what's going on on the planet now and what they can do about it, because that's one of the good things about that video is that it actually uh, offers solutions. Thrivemovement.com. Sure, just one moment now. If you have seen it or you will, watch the Thrive video for a little section that covers the uh, Milk Hill Formation, the uh, Global Healing Mandala. And you will find that what they have done there, it's just a, kind of a, a passing uh, scene, but they see that as a Taurus. He's very heavy into uh, the Taurus. And there's a Taurus of energy, a three-dimensional Taurus of energy that moves around this formation, which is part of the reason why the swirling water is so powerful. When we get it into formation with people, there's a uh, one Taurus that is at the heart and above, and it swirls one way and pulls down cosmic energy. There's another Taurus from the heart down that swirls the other way and pulls up uh, Earth energy. But you'll see some of that in the Thrive video if you have a chance. Great. So that brings us down to the last couple of minutes of our program, and we want to thank Brian and Pam very sincerely for being with us. And we want to remind you that the Eight Steps to Freedom is on this coming Monday, the 8th of October. To get more information about that, go to ahanu.com, A-H-O-N-U.com, forward slash Eight Steps to Freedom. I want to remind you, as always, about Angel Rose, I'm and a time of change can be bought from Amazon.com or from Angel Rose's little website there at timeofchange.info. And that's all one word, at timeofchange.info. Final reminder, too, about our Mystical and Sacred Sites Tour of Ireland. Go to mysticalireland.holistic.ie and sign up there and get on our next fabulous visit to the sacred spots and the energy spots of Ireland, 2013. All right, and I'd like to say thank you also to Brian and Pam for their wonderful work that they're doing and uh, living from a very high place of integrity, which is what it's all about. So don't forget granite-planet.net. Get your crop circle essences and the swirling water. And until next Saturday, it's goodbye from all of us, and thank you.